hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin West. To order or download additional resources, please visit kevinwest.org. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. I'm going to go through verse 6. I'll get your attention here in just a minute. I promise you. I want to talk about Ahab and Jezebel. You say the Jezebel in the church today, and they go, oh yeah, I know somebody's got that spirit. I know them. I know them. I know them well. We're going to talk about it in just a minute. For though we walk in the flesh, look at this, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, are not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down, look at this word, imaginations, images, 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 thoughts that get created in pictures, right? And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing in the captivity, What's it bringing into captivity, bringing it into a place of imprisonment? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now listen, it doesn't say to your obedience. You get that? Whose obedience is it? Of Christ. So it's talking about him more than it's talking about you. So casting down images that you've created in your mind, pictures that have turned into something in your head, and every high thing, every high thing, every exalted thing that, that raises itself up against the knowledge of God and bringing into imprisonment, captivity, every thought to Christ's obedience. What if I said it that way? That make more sense? It's Christ's obedience. So whatever compares to him, now listen, the first half of these, these scriptures, three, four, and five, is talking about carnality and flesh. It's talking about you. It now shifts to comparing our thoughts with his obedience. Next verse. And having in a readiness, look at this, to revenge all disobedience when now, when your obedience is fulfilled. What is your obedience? Your obedience is to, count, to capture and to bring down every thought and imagination that rises itself up against God. That's your obedience. His obedience is what he did on the cross, right? See, if we're not careful, we'll see, we can see that there's three phases to this, because I'm gonna go to a story in the Bible and I'm gonna share how this works. There's three phases to this. There is, go back to verse three, let's read it again. I want, I want you to get this. This is a critical part of where we are, especially going into the, 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 the winter time or late fall, winter. You, you have more time in the house. You have more time at home. Barry was talking about chips and pop on the couch and all this. You have more time and all this stuff. At the, there's just more enclosed time because you're not outside as much, okay? So when you have more time on your hands, it seems like that are less idle or less active, you become more idle. Your, your mind starts running wild. And when your mind starts running wild, you gotta make sure what's running through your mind, okay? For though we walk in the flesh, we are in the flesh, we are here today walking and living this thing in a practical everyday life. You're getting up every morning and, and praying, every, getting up every morning and working, you're getting up every morning and taking your shower, you're eating your meals with your family, you're doing whatever you do on a daily basis in practicality, in life. There is just no escaping it. You've got to wake up every morning, You've got to live your day and you've got to come home and go back to bed. 
There is no escaping that. You cannot put your head under the covers and hoping something's gonna go away because nothing just goes away. You are not gonna escape living life. You're not gonna escape having to deal with stuff that we really don't like to deal with. You're not gonna be able to, to, to hide and run away from things. Problems of life, they just don't go away. You have to deal with them. If they go away for a moment, they come back until you finally get them to a place of captivity. And I'll show you what I'm talking about. So we live every day like we live in the day, in the, but we walk in the flesh, but we're not warring after the flesh. Our, our fight is not the same fight as it was when you were in the world, okay? For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, they're not carnal, we don't do tit for tat, right? We, we don't, we don't square off. It isn't eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth in the new covenant. Right? It's just not how this works. You're fighting a spiritual battle even though sometimes it manifests in the fleshly battle. You have to rise above that and if you don't rise above that, you'll try to get even with people and things and deal with situations. When something's coming at you, you'll come at it the same way it's coming at you and you're not gonna get, an, you're not gonna get a heavenly result, you get an earthly result, right? So weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now watch this. Casting down. I mean, I've been in church service before we had worship going on and people would go, throw it to the ground, throw it to the ground, throw it, to, and you'd be going, throw it to the ground, realizing, and I know it's a sign, it's just a, an act of you know, faith and all that, there's nothing wrong with that, I'm not against that, but I am against that if it don't come down out of here. Amen. As long as it stays up here, we got a problem, right? And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, I have to, I have to emphasize this, because here's the deal, if if you hear in your head you're dying and you know he went to the cross and by his stripes you're healed, you've got a conflict. Yeah. The conflict is the evidence or what you're hearing in your head is telling you you're dying. But the spirit and truth that Michael was talking about earlier tells you you're healed. Yeah. So if you've got a, a scripture, a word, a truth that's over here, and over here, you've got this, what looks like evidence or a thought or some sort of symptoms or something that's telling you otherwise, you have to determine, are you going to ascribe to this side or are you going to ascribe to this side? Now here's the battle, okay? If you ascribe to the word, it changes how you live your everyday. Because it says we live in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh, right? What happens is somebody gets a diagnosis. Well, let's just get really real here before I go to uh, Jezebel. Let's just somebody gets a diagnosis and it's bad. It looks like it's fatal. And what happens is the moment the person gets the diagnosis, everything around them begins to shut down because the diagnosis looks terminal, right? And let's say you have you battle with that thing three or four or five or six months and all your family members are around you and you're battling that thing that is terminal. And let's just say the person, for the sake of the story, ends up passing away, right? 
Do you know how many times you'd like to have that last six months over again? Because we begin to shut down when the imagination gets too high. When we got this thought, uh oh, death has entered in, sickness has entered in, we begin to, to reposition ourselves for the inevitable. What we see is death, and we begin to let death and that imagination of death steal good times off of our life when we haven't yet experienced death. If death comes and robs you of the rest of your life, don't let it rob you from the time you heard it to the time it happened. Right? I'm just telling you that, that, that this warfare that we're fighting is in the head, not denying the things that we're dealing with in our life. But I know people, I know people well that have had a diagnosis and, and they come to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you're gonna go home, but this thing, it's, it's incurable. And from that moment on, they were eating ice cream cones and doing park walks the day before they got the result. And now that they know they got the result, they've already entered into preparing for death, so they go ahead and lose any more parks and ice cream cones. Don't let a bad report steal any more of your mind time than the bad report has to. If inevitably it happens, don't let it. I, I know a guy, I know a guy, got sentenced to 30 days in jail, okay? 30 days in jail. It was a, a, something that happened to him a long time ago. It caught up with him. He had been saved, set free from all of his stuff, and then it, and it caught up with him, and he has sentenced to 30 days in jail. So it had, six or eight months had gone by since the 30 days came up. The day the judge sends him to jail and says, listen, you have to report in two weeks to jail. I'll give you two weeks to get everything in order, but in two weeks, because you have a job, in 30 days, you got to report to jail. Now, this man was converted, okay? For two weeks, every day, they were getting up, him and his family were getting up, dreading the 30 days. So he didn't get sentenced to 30 days, he got sentenced to 44 days. 30 of them had to be locked up, 14 had to be locked up in his mind before he went to serve to 30. Are you following what I'm saying? You're in control of this thing. Don't anybody steal your peace. Don't borrow trouble when trouble has not yet happened. Trouble will come maybe tomorrow, but today if it's not here, don't reach into tomorrow and bring it back into your today. Now is the day of salvation. Now watch this. Casting down imaginations, anything that exalts itself up, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity, you gotta, you gotta arrest the thing that's trying to arrest your peace. And into captivity, every thought into the obedience of Christ, verse six, one last time, and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, let me tell you a story. It was a story in the Bible where there's a, there's a guy that back in the day named Elijah. Elijah was one of the most, I mean, prolific prophets that we would ever know, okay? Elijah, caused it to not rain by speaking no rain. Caused it to rain when he said rain. This guy called fire down from heaven and 450 prophets of Baal were consumed. This was a man's man. 
This was, the, this, was a, this was a prophet. This is a, this is a man that could speak on behalf of the Lord. And when he entered into a city or a region, when he entered into the place, he could, he could speak on me. And people would just, just swarm him and go, the man of God is here. Why? Because he was a spokesperson for God. So when talking to Elijah, it was like hearing it from God himself face to face. Elijah had some he had some press. People knew him. Elijah was, was tough. Now, Elijah was preparing Israel to come back to the Lord. There was a, guy, was a king by the name of Ahab, and he was married to a woman named Jezebel. Ahab was a, was a weak man. He was a weak, timid man. In fact, Jezebel ran the house. Okay? He would submit himself to, to Jezebel, and Jezebel would be the one that had the, the loudest voice. Ahab, we would say, would be meek, but I would say he was weak. Because he wouldn't lead, he would listen, and whatever she said would go, right? There can never be a Jezebel unless there is an Ahab. And, and, and I got news for you, Jezebel's not just a woman, it's a female spirit. It's, it's feminine, but it doesn't have to be a woman. You can be a male over a company, have a, a, a manager, have a, a male subservient worker, an employee that you're leading. If the leader of that company or that manager does not take his rightful authority in that place, even though that's a male in the next layer down, if that male starts rising up against that person and starts speaking, and this person over here in leadership you know, comes up underneath that thing, that's a spirit, a weak spirit. coming. It's Ahab coming underneath Jezebel, and it's two men. Are you following what I'm telling you? It's not gender specific. In the kingdom, there is no male or female. It's all spirit, Okay. So my, my point is this, he had Ahab, as a, he was a leader, he was the king, and he had Jezebel that kind of worked on, on the side a little bit, but you had this prophet named Elijah that was just running rampant through all the, the, the land. And I mean, he was on a mission for the Lord. He was, he was really frustrated because people weren't turning back to God, but he was confronting the, the, the king, he was confronting the leadership of the, of, of the empire, he was confronting all the people, and what happened was, there was a time where Ahab had a, or sent his prophets of Baal, 450, pro, 450 prophets that were financed by the government. Let that sink in for just a minute. 450 of them. And here's one man, Elijah. And Elijah's looking at them, those, those 450, and they said, well, Elijah says, let's just do a showdown. I'll tell you what we'll do. Either you got the goods or I've got the goods. So what we'll do is we'll create an altar, and we'll create a sacrifice. And whoever can call, because whether it's a sacrifice or not, you can make a sacrifice if you want to, but if there's no fire to consume the sacrifice, there is no sacrifice. You can have a form of godliness, but without power, there is no kingdom. So he looks at him and he says, hey, you guys go first. You're 450 people. You guys do it however you want to do it. They come up and they, they put a sacrifice down. You guys know this story probably pretty well. They put a sacrifice down, um, called fire from heaven from their gods, and nothing happened. They then start dancing. 
They were dancing, listen, they were dancing around their sacrifice. You can dance and have no fire. I know some churches that way. I've been in some of them. They're going, I'm going, There's, the Lord is not here today, but it sure looks like he might be, but I don't sense him, he's not here. You can have a form, but have no, without the fire, there is no sacrifice. So Elijah begins to, to, to mock him. He begins to say, oh, maybe he's not hearing you. Maybe you ought to pray and sing louder. Maybe, he's, maybe, you're, maybe you're God's deaf. He just can't hear. Now watch. So then he fires them up again. He gets them mad. He's provoking them. That didn't work. Then finally they start, they start cutting themselves. Now we look at that and go, oh, cutting. No, cutting meant covenant. They worshiped to try to get the fire down, and it didn't come. They reminded their God of the covenant that they had with him, and they still didn't have any fire. You following me? It all has a form. We look at it like, oh, those guys are just way out here. We look like it's a movie. And we're over here on Elijah's side going, watch them shouting and dancing to their God. Not realizing, no, 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 it's a form. It looks like the real thing. The only difference is there's no fire. So he comes along and Elijah's mocking him again and going, well, cutting it, maybe you know what you, finally he says, move out of the way. Elijah prepares a sacrifice, trenches, he makes trenches, and then when Elijah called out fire from heaven, his sacrifice was consumed. Not only his sacrifice was consumed, the entire altar was consumed by his sacrifice. He gets up and he kills all 450 of those people. One man, 450 prophets of Baal were dead because Elijah had the real thing, the real man of God. Now, let's go to verse nine, chapter, nine, uh, chapter 19, verse one. Now watch this. This is on the heels of mocking 450 prophets of Baal, on the heels of fire coming from heaven, consuming the sacrifice. He, had, man, he, he could have been beating his chest. He was the man. And Ahab told Jezebel. It was a conversation that happened across town. And Ahab told Jezebel on the heels of 450 of her prophets being killed, told uh, uh, Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with, with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Look at this. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. What she said was, do you go tell Elijah that about this time tomorrow, what he did to those prophets will happen to him. And if it doesn't happen to him, I'll take it upon myself, it'll happen to me. I'll put the curse on me, Jezebel said. In other words, messenger, you go tell him by this time tomorrow he's done. I've had it, he's finished, it's over. Watch this. Now the messenger came to tell him, but when he, what did he do? He saw that. There was not a picture handed to him. She didn't draw out something and say, here, take a look at this. When he saw 
what was said, a picture formed in his mind, not when he heard what was said, when he saw what was said. When the message of doom and gloom and curse and fatality and, 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 and evil entered into his ear, he made a picture. Rather than casting down that voice that he just killed for, he killed 450 called fire from heaven. What's one more? But this time he let the voice that he heard illuminate into an imagination. He arose, went for his life, he's scared. Fear will enter in when something shocks your life and you allow it to come and become a picture in your head that you begin to live from. You're gonna lose everything. That's what you heard. What do you see? That report at the doctor is horrible. That's what you heard. What do you see? That marriage is over. It's never gonna work. That's what I heard. But what do you see? Those kids will never amount to anything. That's what I heard. But what do you see? That ministry will never, that's what I heard, but what do you see? Your days are over, you're old, it'll never, you've got anything else. That's what I heard, but what do I see? You'll live with that disease the rest of your life. That's what I heard, but what do I And if you allow what you hear to be turned into a picture of your mind, the image that you heard becomes an imagination in your mind. When it becomes an imagination in your mind, you begin to live and breathe and move out of that imagination. Whether you realize it or not, it starts out subtle and turns into fatality. And you haven't even died, but your mind is already toxic and, and terminal. Because you're beginning to think, oh God, and fear grips you. When fear grips your mind, you make decisions based out of like necessity and, and, and fear and worry instead of going, uh-uh, no, no, I can't. You're not denying the reality of what you heard. You're not denying the reality of what the circumstances appear. But you're not gonna let the circumstances that appear turn into an imagination that you see and you begin to live from. Are you following what I'm telling you? This is important because where we're headed in the church world, the, the, the world is shaking on its very axis. It's, it's moving. And the axle is as it's moving, it's shaking and turning, you have the, the potential to go, oh God, some days I'm up and some days I'm down. And I'm not opposed for us having some bad days. I'm not opposed for some days you just getting in a closet and just letting it all out. I'm not, a, I'm not talking about living in some farce and, and some fantasy. I'm talking about facing life. When the Jezebel comes with a report, with the, the, the report that says, you're done. It's over. You're finished. It can't be. Your best days are behind you. You're gonna lose everything. I don't care what they said good about you, it's bad. And reminding you of everything against you you cannot allow that voice to turn into a picture that becomes an imagination that you live from. Right. You cannot. Right. If you do, 
It steals years off of your life, peace out of your mind, and will erode all your relationships. That's what it's intended to do. So he saw, then he arose, and he went for his life because he was scared. And he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, had to be alone, don't wanna be around anybody. You even know what I'm talking about? You been there? Oh my gosh, I've been there. Oh, I've been there. I just need some alone time. You do? Yeah, what are you afraid of? Well, if somebody said that to me, what are you afraid of? I just need some alone time. You're just getting on my nerves. Just back off. I gotta have time to think. And the question you need to ask somebody that says that, and I, I don't, I'm giving all away my secrets here because somebody's gonna ask me this when I do it. What do you ask yourself? What are you seeing? What are you seeing? What picture are you living under? So himself, a day's journey into the wilderness, he came and sat under a juniper tree. He rest, and he requested for himself that he might die. He says, God, I had enough. The imagination is killing me. I can't do it anymore. I'm working too many hours. Nobody else cares. I don't think they understand what I'm going through. I don't, I, I don't, it, me, me, I, I, me, me, I, God, I, God, about me. And he requested for himself, there you go. God, I need to do this for me. He might die, and he said, it's enough. I can't take any, has anybody been in a situation, maybe you're there now in a circumstance, that you just can't take it anymore. <laughs> just can't take it anymore. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. God, if you don't provide a way of escape, it ain't happening. I'm finished. I'm tired of making excuses for me, God. I'm tired of making excuses for you. I got people watching me I got people I've been preaching to, I got people watching my life, and if you don't come through, it ain't gonna happen, and I'm tired of waiting on you. You keep going. You, you keep going, you keep going, and you keep going to the point where God, go ahead and take it. Go ahead and take it. Here's where you gotta get to. You get to that point where, God, I'm willing to give you all of the remedy. I'll give you the solution. Now, not just, not 90% of it. For example, God, I can't stand this job. If it don't get any better, and you don't change this situation, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and the job won't change. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and she's getting harder as a boss, or he's getting worse as a boss. It's worse and worse and worse. God, if you don't do something, if you don't do something, the question is, what, is he, what if he's telling you to quit finding another job? 
I had a piece of property one time. I was ready to sell it. And it was a rental property years ago. And uh, had all these people telling me what I should do. And I was trying to sell it, trying to sell it. Needed out of it, wanted out of it. I was upside down on it. Had to, had to go. So I tell people it's for sale. I, mean, I went with five or six different realtors. I think all the previous ones were worse than the others. Just trying to get rid of it. Got to do something. To it. And I tried to sell it, nothing. And the house was empty. Renters would move out. And I'd, I'd rent it and then somebody else would move out. I'd rent it, somebody else would move out. And I think, my God, I can't find it. So God, this, is, this place got to sell. So I made up my mind to sell it. It cost me a fortune every month. And uh, I thought to myself, I thought, God, what am I going to do? Well, it was at a time in my life back in 2000, 1998, when my life had turned completely right side up, even though it looked like it was falling apart. And at that point, I'd had several pieces of rental property. I'd had all kinds, but I was ready to just whatever God had for me. So I was believing the Lord for this property to sell. It was a big one. If I could sell this property, I'd make enough money to pay off all these things here and I'd be living a good for another six months. It would, while I was gonna be gone for a while, it was gonna help me in that situation. So I, was, I had it all figured out. So I went through five or six different realtors trying to sell this piece of property and, 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 every, and I was confessing the word, confessing the word, confessing the word till I got so tired of quoting the scripture. I went to one church one time and the guy told me, he says, I think you just need to increase your faith. And I'm not joking. Some words came to my mouth that were not faith. I was so aggravated and mad, I thought to myself, you don't even know. Who do you think you are? So I went through this whole process of all this and went through this five or six. I'd had several people interested. One guy made a contract, couldn't get financing. It was all just kind of falling apart on me. And I'm going, oh my God, what'd I do? I had it all down. And the, the, the Lord spoke to me and said, real clear, after many, 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 many months, maybe back, back to it was 97, this was in 99, so two years. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly one day and he said, why don't you just give that property back to me? And I said, God, I've given it to you for two years. You haven't done anything with it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He says, no, you, you're giving it to me. You're out. Call your banker. Tell him you want to give it back to him and I'll take it completely off of you. I said, whoa. <laughs> There's thirty or $40,000 worth of equity here. I'm not willing to give thirty or $40,000 worth of equity back to the bank. Who's your God? Do you mean to tell me you don't think I'd get you 30 or 40,000 somewhere else? Or is that the only transaction you and I only work on? It's a true story. I could take you and show you the house. It was a property. So I wrestled with that for about a month, thinking it was somebody else. <laughs> that thought it was Jezebel, wasn't the Lord. And I talked to different people, and then I'd have little people, just little people come to me and go, uh, have you ever thought about just giving it back? I'm going, are you out of your mind? You get behind me, Satan. Are you out of your head? There's no way I'm gonna give this house back. Listen, I'm, a, I'm not giving up that kind of equity. I need that equity for my family because this is what's gonna about to happen in about a year. I need to, you know, so through this thing. And I mean, little things along the way. Give that house back. I equated that losing. So finally, I had come to the end of myself and I was sitting underneath a juniper tree with, in my head. And I'd come to him and I said, I can't take it anymore. And you're not gonna don't believe what happened. I, the, the banker was a good friend of mine. He comes walking along my path. And he comes to me and he says, hey, won't you just give that property back to the bank? I said, I felt like a failure, I felt like a loss. Giving this back to you? God, I'm gonna lose the 30 or 40,000. I said, well, you pay the 30, you wanna buy it back from the bank or you just want it back for your debt? 
And he goes, well, of course, it's the debt. I said, yeah, you want that $30,000 worth of equity. He says, it's not equity until somebody buys it. It's in your head, and so is all your problems. And I said, oh, I said, yeah, I'll sign it back over to you. Get the papers ready. He said, it'll take me about a week to get the papers ready. I called the realtor, and I said, I'm giving it back. I'm done with it. It's over. I'm just going to give it back. I, got, I just got to get it out of my mind. I'm, I'm tired of fooling with it. I completely released that to give that back to the bank. The day before I was supposed to go inside the deed, just sign over back over to the bank, I get a call. A guy calls me, it was the next door neighbor. He says, man, I saw your realtor took the sign down. I said, yeah, he goes, I just didn't want to pay the realtor fees. He said, I tell you what, I'll buy it from you. I said, are you kidding me? True story. I said, are you, are you kidding me? I said, all for 7% of, you know, $150,000. You're, you're kidding me. And he went, no. No, he said, give it back to the bank. And, said, and I got a call. And here's what happened. And I don't know how to explain this, and I don't know how to make this happen again for me or anybody else. But the moment I truly released it, yes. when I really, truly took my fingers and hands off of it, even though I was trying, I did everything I knew to do, the minute I was prepared to go through the embarrassment of losing it, I didn't have to lose it. Now, I don't know that that works for everybody. It just worked for me. And I don't think I could probably do that again because that was a difficult moment. Now, what I'm telling you is I had created an imagination in my mind of what I was going to have to do and I didn't know how to get rid of it. I sit down and I was feeling sorry. I did, I felt sorry for myself the whole time. But I was working my rear end off trying to make things happen. I wasn't lazy, I wasn't a lazy bone in my body. He that might die, he said, it is enough. I can't take it anymore. Now, oh Lord, take away my life for I am better, I'm not better than my fathers. Next verse. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree. You ever been to sleep out of exhaustion, not out of rest? You're just tired of thinking and finally you just doze off because you're tired of worrying. And under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. Watch. And he looked and behold, there was a cake between bacon on the coals and a cruise of water. It was cake and water from heaven. And he did eat and he drank and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again to the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. Heaven come and acknowledged what you're feeling is real. What you're feeling is sincere. I'm not blaming you. You can't do this on your own. You didn't kill the 450 prophets of Baal on your own and you didn't consume him, those, that, that sacrifice on your own and you're not gonna be able to do this. You're gonna have to have some sustenance that comes from heaven, not just a good natural idea. You're gonna have to have some supernatural charge. Now what we would do in the church world is say, you need to pray more and you need to read the word more. It's beyond the prayer and the word and I know I'm gonna get criticized for that, but it's beyond those two things. It is a spiritual awakening, that renewal in your heart that rejuvenates you that says, I can't do this on my own. And you begin to reach for something outside of yourself. Not just another good idea, not just a better plan, but something on the inside of you that says, 
God, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to initiate this. You're going to have to walk through this because whether you, whether you do it or not, I'm done. I'm finished. I can't fix this. I can't resurrect it. I don't even know how to make it die. He don't even know how to make it. How am I going to make it alive? God, the angel came and says, stand up. Get up and eat. Get yourself strong because the journey is too hard for you. Watch this. He goes back down again. He rose, he did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat for 40 days and nights. Listen, nothing changed for 40 days. Only thing that changed, the message that he heard became a picture. He's hiding under a juniper tree. He has a visitation from heaven that says, eat, get up. He gets up and for 40 days, I'm telling you, can you imagine for 40 days after having an angelic visitation and nothing's changed in 40 days after you having a visitation from God? God telling you, this is too big for you. I would have liked for him to be able to say, if that was the, I would have grabbed the angel by the hand and said, listen to me, you're not going anywhere. I appreciate the water and I appreciate the cakes. But this is gonna have to change and if you ain't leaving until it changes, right? Something's going to have to give. And I'd appreciate knowing how it's gonna happen. There we go, right there. There we go. That's us. That's me. It's not good enough to know you're gonna need it for 40 days, just trust me. I wanna know how you're gonna do it in 40 days so I can look for it. I don't wanna miss it. I don't wanna get in the way, but I certainly don't wanna get behind. Am I not talking about, am I supposed to go to this doctor, call that person, call this person, am I supposed to do that? Am I doing a 40-day fast? If, I, if we'd have known there was gonna be 40 days on the front end, he'd have 40-day fasted like the rest of us. Right? Then we'd have Daniel's 21-day fast and Elijah's 40-day fast we'd all been imitating all these years. It didn't like Daniel knew there was gonna be 21 days. Right? Daniel started fasting. It happened to be 21 days when the breakthrough happened. Then the church today goes, I'm going on a 21-day Daniel fast. Daniel didn't go on a 21-day Daniel fast. <laughs> Daniel fasted and it happened to be for 21 days. Won't you just go open-ended on your fast? There we go. I better take a drink of water. I need a cake too. I can tell right now. Are you following what I'm saying today? This is important. So, so he, he's... 40 days go by. He goes unto uh, to Horeb, the Mount, uh, Mount of God. Next verse, watch this. This is good. He came now. He was in a tree, under a tree. Now he's in a cave. And he comes to the cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Now the angel came and brought him cakes and water before. Now the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, what are you doing here? What in the world are you doing here? Now, it isn't like he didn't already know. The, Lord, angel, the word of the Lord don't come to you to ask you a question he don't already know the answer for. So this is a setup. It's for Elijah to know what he's doing here. Because if Elijah, why, well, listen to this. If he can get Elijah saying the truth, he can get Elijah seeing the truth. How do you know that? Because Jezebel got him seeing the truth by hearing Hearing, seeing the false by hearing the false. Did you see that? God knew how Jezebel got him by letting him hear it so he could see it. So God needed Elijah to hear it out of his own mouth so he could see it with the same message. It's all about imagination. 
It's about what you see. It's about how you see it. It builds faith or it breeds fear. He looks at him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Next verse. And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. <laughs> what? I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Wait a minute. I thought we dealt with the eye thing over here under the tree. I can't take it anymore. Go ahead and kill me. I want this to end. I just, I'm, I'm throwing my hands up, God. Here's cake and here's water. This is too big for you, Elijah. 40 days go by. Elijah's now dealing with me again. This time it's not a victim. This time he's the savior. Over there, he's just a lowly guy that's had it all falling apart on him. Over here, he's going, God, I think I'm the, I'm the only one. Where are all the other people? I'm doing, over here, God, I need you to kill me for me. Over here, you need to kill me for you. Because I'm the only one. God, can't you see me doing it for you? God, you, over there, God, just have mercy on me. Over here, God, do, do yourself a favor. God, me and you are just in the same boat here. I'm upset at everybody. Those Christian people, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm so tired of, this is Elijah. I'm so, God, you don't have one church that's got it right across town or it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a drug problem. They act like it's praise and worship, but they got screens and fog machines and everything. I don't, who did, they, God, I'm the only one that's singing the hymns inside the cave. They use iPads and iPhones and put Bibles on their phone. God, I'm the only one that still has the leather. Am I talking to anybody? Yeah. I don't know who they think. They, they build churches that don't look like churches. Where's the steeples? Where's the stained glass window? They're running away from everything they know. God, they're, they're not, they've forgotten and walked away from you. They're letting stuff in the world. It's all, it's all skinny jeans and hair gel. Every preacher's a skinny jeans and hair gel kind of guy. What's wrong with this? Where, what happened to the old fashioned hell, hell fire and brimstone? Pre where, we need to go back to preaching some of this stuff, God. But I'm in a cave. Fear grips the hair gel and the, the whatever they are, the skinny jeans and also the, the tie and the suit. Fear is no respecter of people. It is not a style that God is after. Right. It's a heart yeah. he's after. And he found a man with the right heart. And just like he wouldn't let Elijah run away, he won't let you run away. Right. He found Elijah when he was under a juniper tree or scared to death, fired up, falling apart, ready to kill himself, ready to commit suicide, let it all go. I'm done with it. I can't take it anymore. The stronghold and the imagination is too much for me to see. I can't live under the pressure anymore. I can't live under the gloom. God, go ahead and take this thing away. God says, no. I'll give you what you need because it's too big for you. And then he runs over here. 40 days go by. 40 days. That's an eternity when things aren't happening. My God, 40 days are forever. And here he now is in the cave going, God, 
And now he's got himself, his eyes off of the world. Now he's got his eyes on the church. Over there under the tree, it was on the world. Because he just came off killing 450 of them. Now he's had 40 days of an encounter with God and he comes into the, the, the cave and he's going, oh God, it's your people, God. We're having, I'm the only one. Your people aren't even doing what they're doing, supposed to be doing. This is a church problem. What's that? And he said, he didn't even acknowledge it. He didn't even acknowledge what he said. And he said, go forth, stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and, he get, get, and, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But if the Lord was not in the wind, ooh, and after the wind, there came the earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Why a fire? Because fire he could relate to. He just killed 450 people called fire from heaven. It wasn't in the fire. See, it wasn't in the traditional sense that he had known. And after the fire, here it come in a still small voice. Next verse. And he said, and it was so when Elijah, oh, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave and behold, there came a voice in him and said, what are you doing there, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars and stained thy prophets with the sword and I even only have left and they seek my life to take it away. Verse 15. And the Lord said to him, go return to the way of the wilderness of Damascus and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be the king over Israel. Don't even acknowledge what he said. Did you follow that? Yeah. Yeah. He complained all about it and he didn't even go, no, no, no. What he did say was this. I've got 7,000 men that you don't even know that have not even kissed the hand of Baal. They have not kneeled and you don't even know what I've got. You're over here in your myopic world. And let me remind you, Elijah, where this all started. This all started you doing something mighty for me. You were doing something incredible for me. 450 people got killed. You called fire from heaven. The sacrifice was consumed. And the very next day, you hear a message. You hear something coming at you from Jezebel, from a messenger. And when you heard the, the gloom and doom report, you saw something different than what you know in your heart. And for the last 40 or 50 or 60 days, Elijah, you've been running, feeling sorry for yourself, getting mad at everybody in the world and getting mad at me, getting mad at everybody, only because you didn't know how to cast down the imagination when the voice come and told them you were gonna die. You didn't bring it into captivity, Elijah, and it cost you some time. You've been running all over the place. All you needed to do, Elijah, recognize that your weapons are not carnal. In fact, Elijah, that fire that came from heaven that consumed that sacrifice and, the, and, we, and you killed those guys, that's not carnal. I made the sacrifice, I made the fire. I even gave you the sacrifice to perform but I created the fire. Where'd it come from, Elijah? It came from me. So you know your weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty 
to the pulling it down of what? Strongholds, holds in your head, pictures that you have created from the words that you have heard. You've created a story in your mind that you have been living out of that I never said, nor never did I even see. You were creating this story as it's all gonna end bad. You're gonna lose it all. He's gonna leave me. She's gonna leave me. I'm gonna die young. I'll lose it all. Things are gonna fall on its face. I don't know how I'm gonna matter if the kids don't come back. I don't know, and all of this story, and you've been living all by the words that the ex-wife said. All by the words that the ex-husband said. All by the words that the banker or the lawyer or the doctor said or your next door neighbor or your enemies or all they've said and you've let this come in your ear rather than pulling them down, Amen. casting them down. You have allowed a picture yeah. to been created in your mind and you have changed your entire world to match the picture rather than change the picture to match your world. What are you gonna do? Elijah. Stand with me. It's good stuff. Powerful. Life changing. See, those kind of things... You have to know those things because any church or any person or people or family that's mobile, moving forward, or leaning into the things of God, there's always this underlying, underhanded voice that tries to come out of nowhere to try to get you off course that you're on. I've seen it so many times. I've seen people so on fire for the Lord and they're moving forward and all of a sudden somebody out of left field comes over here, speaks something into their life negative that produces fear, and before you know it, it all gets washed away. Because now the picture that they see is much different than the picture that they had already seen before the replacement of that negativity and fear. You cast that thing down. The imagination. See, your greatest thing you have is your imagination. Because out of imagination comes creativity. And if the enemy can get your imagination breeding from a fear, he can stop your creativity from things that are being created to produce. That's all changing. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, but God created, when he created man, he created it in his image and likeness. So don't you think for one minute the enemy that tried to exalt himself above the Lord and was cast down isn't trying to destroy your image too. If he can destroy your image, he destroys your imagination. If he can destroy your image, he destroys your imagination, he can destroy how you live your life because you start making decisions out of fear as opposed to faith. tell you this story real quickly and I'm going to close. I know a mother and a father had a 20, early 20 year old a daughter that was on drugs real bad. Really bad. 
and been to recovery, I mean, probably eight or 10 times or more. Spent thousands of dollars sitting there all over the country. I only come back thinking, oh God, this is the one. This is the one. Let this be the one that stick. And anytime your child wants help, I don't know if you've ever been connected with this kind of stuff, but I have been connected. I, I know lots of family people or people in the church world that have situations like this. And it's heart-wrenching because you're, you're doing anything you can to get them help. So it became, um, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten. I mean, so many times, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars sending them all over the place, sending her she came back after the last one, which was a big one. She came home and she was in there and she hadn't had a shower for four or five days. She was living out of dumpsters. This is her daughter. This girl went to one or two years of Marshall. This is not a street kid. It's a good family. The daughter goes and living out of dumpsters and trash cans and it comes in and four or five days she comes in to take a shower. So she came in the house and they had to lock down everything in the house because there's a good chance she was gonna steal everything in there so they locked it down. So she came in one day and something had snapped inside the mom because the mom was so afraid she was gonna die that she did everything in the world she could to keep her from dying. But everybody was telling her she's gonna die, she's gonna die, she's gonna die. So she had this image in her mind God, she's gonna die. So her mode of operation and her, went to preventive. It went to, I gotta keep her from dying. I've gotta keep her from dying. I gotta keep her from dying. I gotta keep her from dying. And, and she and I had a conversation one day before this is all coming to pass. The girl was out running the streets and she called me on the phone. She said, I've gotta keep her from dying. I've gotta keep her from dying. I've gotta keep her from dying. I said, how about we change the way we see it? Not just the way we say it, but the way we see it. How about we say, we're not trying to keep her from dying. We wanted to keep, get her into living. And I said, there's a major difference. And I said, it's subtle in its wording, but it's huge in its picture in its mind. And I said, can we just say that? She said, I don't know what that means. And I said, I don't either. I'm just telling you what I'm hearing. Can we just change the way we see it? She said, yeah, we can. Nothing changed. So she goes out after those four or five days that out on a binge and it's really bad. She comes into the house and she goes into the shower. Watch this. Goes into the shower, the daughter does. She had had a shower and four or five days. So she turns on the water in the shower. The mother comes in the bathroom, turns the shower off over top of her hands. She says, no. No shower. She said, you're gonna deny me a shower? She said, no. I'm gonna quit trying to keep you from dying. And I'm gonna take you into living. She says, without a shower? She says, I'm changing the way I see it. You're gonna have to leave. The girl grabs her stuff, takes off, gone. Week, two weeks go by. Things get worse. Things get worse. She's called me on the phone practically every day. Now I hadn't heard a word, posting stuff. Have you seen her? Have you seen her? Worried, sick, just a typical story. And finally, one day, out of a couple of weeks, the daughter comes knocking on the door. The other times, the daughter would walk in the house, even go through a window if she had to. This time, she's knocking at the door. And the mom runs to the door, opens the door. There's her daughter there. It's filthy. Her hair's matted, filthy clothes, dirty, dirt under her fingernails, just, just a mess. 
bruised where she had, don't even know where she got them from. She's standing there talking to her. She goes, here's her words. Mom, I've been so afraid. Listen to this. I've been so afraid of dying. I didn't know how to get out. But mom, I come here today because I want to live. I'm not afraid of dying. I made it right with Jesus. But I don't want to die. I want to live. And her mom grabbed her by the, 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 the back of the, the, just hugged her arms and her neck and grabbed her and brought her in, turned the shower on for her. Throws her in the shower with her clothes and everything else. Starts stripping the clothes off of her. Gets a garbage bag and starts throwing this stuff in. And all the time they were doing that, the mom was saying, you're gonna live? And the girl's going, I wanna live. I wanna live. The girl's going, I wanna live. And then mom's going, you're gonna live. And here come the dad going, what's going on? What's happening? What's... He comes in and she says, our daughter is gonna live. All of a sudden, the picture changed in that house. It went from quit trying to die, afraid of dying and preventing, to we're gonna live. We're gonna live. That girl now today is married with kids, is a counselor in that whole world and helping people. The mom helps all kinds of moms. And you ask her, what happened? And here's what she tells you. I changed the picture of what I saw. Father, in Jesus' name, we hear things, God, come into our ears and we picture a picture in our mind that we don't know exactly what it does at times, but it produces such a fear in us and a, and a fret. And God, it doesn't line up with your word, but somehow the life experience and what we're re the reality of our life in that moment sometimes supersedes what we really know to be truth and what we know to be right. I'm asking you, Lord, to wipe the picture clean. Erase the board in our head and you paint the picture with your finger of the way it's supposed to be in our lives. In every aspect, we'll trust you, we'll let you guide us, and God, if you don't do it, it won't get done. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. We'll see you all Wednesday night.